Is your engineering team focused on efficiency, but struggling with inaccessible or costly DORA metrics? Insights into the health of your engineering team don't have to be complicated or expensive. That's why Linear B is introducing free DORA metrics for all. Say goodbye to spreadsheets and manual tracking or paying for your DORA metrics. Linear B is giving away a free, comprehensive DORA dashboard packed with essential insights, including all four key DORA metrics tailored to your team's data, industry standard benchmarks for gauging performance and setting data-driven goals, plus additional leading metrics, including merge frequency and pull request size. Empower your team with the metrics they deserve. Sign up for your free Dora dashboard today at linearb.io slash Dora, or follow the link in the show notes. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Dev Interrupted. I'm your host, Connor Bronston, and I'm delighted to be joined in the Dev Interrupted Dome by Linear B co-founder and CEO, Ori Karen. Ori, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be here and it's great to be in the Dome for the first time. Yeah, it's, it's a fun experience. If you're not watching this on YouTube and you're maybe listening on Spotify, yeah, consider checking it out. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun to, to watch the whole thing happen. Uh, and that's why Ori and I are here to talk about these like fascinating topics that we're hearing all about at DevOps Enterprise Summit 2023. And as we head towards the end of the year, teams worldwide are thinking about what are the trends that we need to pay attention to in 2024? What are OKRs for next year looking like? What are our key initiatives? So Ori, given your years, your decades really now at development experience, your years as a founder, your experience about startups, scale-ups, and enterprises, I wanted to get your take. What are the key predictions that you have about the state of software development and engineering teams in 2024? Yeah, so I'll start with the topic that is closest to what we do and what I do around like a developer productivity. I think we're, we're going to see a little bit of a conflicting trend. So one engineering efficiency or developer productivity, measuring that is here to stay. It's almost like if you look at 2008 and, uh, you know, the challenges that sales had there, et cetera, uh, strong uh, sales efficiency technologies evolved out of that. And I believe that from these tough times or tough macroeconomic times, you're going to see engineering efficiency here to stay and sort of like the inheritance of this time. So that's, that's, that's the first thing, like uh, companies who didn't start in 2023 are going to start in 2024 and in 2025. It's a no brainer. It's, it's here to stay for that. Another thing that, another two interesting aspects that related to that is I would start with the first is if in the past you had like companies that say, Hey, I'm going to do it myself. So DIY. I'm going to, I'm going to build like a custom solution for that. We're already starting to see less and less. And I think 2024, my prediction is going to, they're going to almost go away. Same things happen when uh, people say, oh, okay, CRM, do we really need a CRM? Do we really need all, all the opportunities? We can ha have it in a spreadsheet or build something of our own. And the technology evolved so much that you're behind if you're not starting. So you go, you're going to see less like companies that are choosing to do do them do it themselves and kind of like go with the with the, some of the solutions. I would say the last trend that I, that I think we're going to continue to see in uh, engineering efficiency, developer productivity is there's a saying that in this tough uh, economic times, like the CFO is almost like the new CIO. They're like kind of like making decisions on what information technology do you buy. You got to put like a lot of ROI justification into that. That thing is not going to go away. They're going to still, in spirit at least, like be in those conversations. And I think that engineering leaders that want control their data, understand what's happening, run a metrics program, 
kind of map what's happening in the organization, they're going to have tough times like to control the narrative of why they're operating, you know, in a good way and why there's this justification to maybe increase the team. And the, the times where I was an engineering leader, I just came to my CEO, hey, I need two or three more people. And I convinced him, you know, by just talking about hunches and not with data are over. So I think uh, my other prediction is that engineering leaders who will do this transformation, will control the data, will control the narrative and will be able to talk to the CFO, will achieve great things for their organizations and vice versa. What would be your advice to engineering leaders who are trying to have that conversation and trying to be the ones who control the narrative, to your point, so that they're not beholden fully to the board and instead say, hey, look, my, my data is here, my, my input is here? I would say, again, it starts with having the data. If you don't have the data, it's all hunches, it's all guesses. Then it's, there's different types of data, right? So people, you know, we, we double down on door metrics, probably going to be the theme of like the, this uh, event. But there's other areas where you kind of measure the allocation, how much investment there are, are going into like each type of investment and each project. This is the type of information that is super interesting for CFO, board, et cetera. Have the data in front of you, be able to, to start a conversation, initiate a conversation. If you want, it come to you and it come to you in the moment that you're least ready. And so if you initiate a conversation, you can control the narrative or, or at least lead it to where the discussion to where you want it to be. Yeah, you, you and I have talked about this before, right? Which is like when you fail to do that, you run into things like the McKinsey framework where it says, okay, here's how you need to measure developer productivity. And, you know, we, we've all seen... Uh, many of the critiques of that, if you haven't already listened to Ori and myself and Kelly Vaughn on this podcast critiquing it, definitely go, ch- go check that out. But to sum it up, when you don't consider the impact of your engineering metrics program, of your analytics, of these decisions you're making at leadership layer on the culture of your engineering team, on the retention of your engineering team, on your ability to actually deploy for an engineers, uh, when you risk gamification, you create these massive, I, I believe you put it as like you, you create an autoimmune disease within the company. So this is a huge risk. Yeah. So that's the other side. Like the allocation is more like, okay, uh, I'm a, I'm a VPE. I'm a CTO. I need to have a data driven conversation with my uh, financial folks. The other side of it is to try to stay away from those individual metrics, at least in those conversations with a CFO. And my belief is, my belief is that you need different system to assess your talent. You use the same system that you kind of like measure that your door metrics and your metrics, you kind of create like, a, like you said, like autoimmune system because then people are gaming the metrics and they know they're being measured on that. So they're going to change their behaviors. I would totally recommend like using something different to assess the talent of your, of your team, which probably you should also do and use the metrics like more for the team, uh, team related things. And this is why I hear you using the phrasing engineering efficiency. A lot of this debate that's evolved has been around developer productivity. And I know you have concerns about that because it it lends itself to this focus on individual metrics, which can be very toxic for a team. Yeah, yeah. I think like language creates reality. We know that. So if you call something developer productivity, you use like the single tense and not the plural tense. Like even in sales, you measure the sales efficiency. Even in sales where it's such a more close to like individual sports. Competitive, yeah. Yeah, you don't talk about sales rep efficiency. You say sales efficiency and you measure like the friction in your process. At the end, you will measure like the individual reps. 
So yeah, I, I don't like the term developer productivity. If we can use dev team efficiency, engineering efficiency, I think that's like the right uh, term to use. And I know that, you know, as we all look at these solutions for developer productivity or engineering efficiency, whichever you want to phrase it as, there is also a, an issue within companies of tool fatigue, you know, not just the CFO level where they're saying, oh, I'm worried about how much we're spending, but also at the, the dev level, at the, the team leader level, and they're saying, okay, what's this new tool? Why should I start using it? How can the community, the dev tools community, avoid having our like cutting edge tools that should hopefully be improving the lives of engineering leaders actually be a headache? Yeah, so that's a great question. I think there's this term called developer experience. We all heard it. It's gaining momentum. It's still not fully operationalized uh, at this point in time. And I think that what we see from our customer base depends on the size. So if you're like an enterprise customer, you probably have a developer experience team. If you are a smaller one, you probably have like somebody who's like very passionate about it or what we call the AOR, area of responsibility. So the rise of those developer experience team and um, IDPs, like uh, internal developer portals, I think they're good. And I predict 2024 for them like to go even, you know, to be more rolled out uh, within teams. Those things can help well with what you talked talk about because it's a central place for people to kind of understand what's stopping me from delivering on my task. If I'm talking about on myself as an individual developer, I come in, I want to complete a task end to end. If I need to learn new tools all day long, here's my productivity. If the tests that I need to run, run too long, here's my productivity. So that's productivity from the eyes of the developer. And developer experience is super, super important. I think 2024 is going to be the year where it's going to be much more operationalized with two things in mind. And our philosophy is always use those two methods. On one hand, there's empiric things you can measure in developer experience. For example, marriage frequency. If I'm not, if I'm a developer and I'm not pushing PRs out, forget about how my manager looks at it. From my side, I don't like it because every developer wants to achieve things. I want to come in, complete a task and go to the next task. There is empiric metrics like flaky tests that are sometimes working, sometimes not working. You want to kick them out because they're not stable. They're like confusing you. There's like the length of the CI. Those are like empiric metrics and we're going to see a lot of companies invest a lot in them. There's also the qualitative like side. I see a lot of like a good uh, movement into that, asking the developers via surveys. Where do you think, like, what are, what is the thing that's blocking you? And yeah, and if they say tool fatigue, I don't want a new tool, you should listen to them. So this is a, a really interesting thing to dig into, given that, you know, if we haven't already said in this episode, AI is here, it's here to stay. You're not going to get away from engaging with AI tools. We're already seeing some of these trends in our data. We're seeing some of the trends in the Dora research, which we were a partner with for Google. And in that Dora research, we saw that uh, companies that were leveraging AI tooling were starting to see them actually improve developer experience metrics, these like satisfaction surveys, because we're seeing improved automation, leveraging programmable workflows and AI to actually uh, ensure that some of these like less fun tasks, some of these frustrating friction points get automated away. What do you see happening uh, as that trend continues to evolve with AI in the coming years? Yeah, so there's a couple of interesting aspects to that. I think even in the Google report, they're saying 
Yeah, we're starting to see the trend, but it's still, still really not, early. Yeah, early. It's it's being incorporated. It's going to be much more incorporated in 2024. So that's like a, a very important prediction. Now, I have like a lot of like ideas around it and a lot, of, like, a lot of thoughts around it. The first one is, okay, Gen AI is going to do more impact on how fast code is being generated in 2024 for sure. So you're going to get some fully automated like Gen AI code Going in, you get a, you're going to get some half, you know, like semi-automated, like Gen AI code. And here's the thing. It's like, I keep saying it and I'll say it again. You're going to try to stream more water into the same old, narrow, rusty pipes. So I foresee in 2024, all of a sudden in the acknowledgement, okay, whoa, like we're generating code. But we thought about like these pipelines and how can we open them up so they can release you know, reviews faster, CI faster, CD faster. And the keys is not faster in terms of let's throw more machines and more money on the problem. It's being smart. Classify the work that's coming in and then send them on different, like, uh, you know, routes. So some of the things can go faster. Some of the things need more human intervention. That's one thing that, that I think we're going to see in 2024 with Gen AI. Our customers are already coming to us and saying, we're experimenting with things around Gen AI. Can you help us like figure out what, what type of impact uh, it does? So of course you can use the inability to, to measure the impact. Are, are, is the cycle time faster in like Gen AI? So that's like in the, like my thoughts around Gen AI, like in high level, there's two other things that are interesting. One is the quality of being able to read code is going to become much more important because you can Code is going to be generated faster, like we said, but you need humans to read the code and approve it. And here's the thing, developers don't like to read code and they like to write code. So having these senior developers that know how to read and analyze the code and how it's going to impact their specific system, it's a very important quality for uh, tech companies to continue to invest in and make sure that they have it because that's going to be a pipeline like uh, opener uh, if they have it. And if not, Again, more code is going to sit in the pipe, going to be stuck. My other very philosophical like, kind of thought that I had yesterday is that, you know how when you get all of a sudden iPhone, you stop remembering numbers? Sadly true. And then you got, I don't know, Google Maps, Waze, whatever you use. We lost the navigation capabilities, or at least some of them. And my worry is that since, again, this is like not, next year, but two, three years ahead, when more, more and more dependency is going to be in, hey, I need Gen AI to help me like generate code, the, the innovation level will decrease because a lot of good ideas are coming in. I'm working with my hands, I'm doing something. And now all of a sudden, like, oh, this is a great idea. Let's do this. Let's work. And your dependency in something that will help you generate the code will kind of block your innovation. So I mean, companies like in two, three years from now, we're going to start to think about how do I preserve the knowledge and not lose it and kind of like decrease the dependency in that. Well, that's a little bit more far ahead. That's an interesting prediction because I know you and I have talked about this before about how you believe the best developers are ones who are really incredible and willing to read code. And so I wonder if, to your point, that skill set will become even more important because you need to go beyond just what Gen AI has done for you. Like, yeah, great. You can now get some of the basics done with Gen AI, and I'm sure that's going to continue to improve. But to actually create something innovative and new is going to take 
potentially more work because of this expectation that so much of it is in some ways cookie cutter. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, I, I think again, the ability to uh, read code is something that those are going to be the most attractive developers like you, that will like uh, people will look for them. Companies will need to invest like uh, resources in training. People like to, okay, how do I like uh, increase those capabilities? Are there any new challenges that you see developers facing around another topic that you brought up earlier, which is resource allocation? And how do you see engineering leaders needing to mitigate that resource challenge that they may be facing in these choppy economic times to continue to improve productivity? Yeah, so we divide it to two interesting like things that we're seeing. First of all, there's this topic of uh, remote work. It's not solved. That's like uh, our belief internally because what we found in our research is that teams that are working, not necessarily co-located and working from, but in the same time zones are much more collaborative and are working uh, better together. So... You know, there's this uh, brave new world where everybody's working, wherever they want from, different time zones, etc. I still believe hybrid is somewhere uh, the, the right way to go and each company needs to find their... But we're seeing that companies that are working more or less in the t- same time zone are able to break the biggest like blockers in, develop- in, in engineering efficiency. And we know that code reviews, that's something we keep on fighting as like one of the main blockers. And this year, Google also like mentioned it as one of the main thing that you need to improve in order. It's being done better when you're in the same time zone. So I think companies need to kind of say, hey, this is our strategy. It's fine if we still decide to work, you know, different time zones, but let's just acknowledge the prices, come up with programs that are kind of uh, fix that. Because again, if I'm issuing a PR and I'm waiting three hours for somebody to wake up, it's a productivity killer. So I think companies need like to figure out their strategy around like uh, remote work, hybrid, time zones, all of that in order to be more successful. So that's one thing that I, I, I kind of see. And, and the second thing is like very simple. Like we talked about it in the beginning, I'll say it again. You want to be better and face the challenges. You got to start with a metrics program. We talked about it, but and metrics program is just the first step. And after you do that, you got to make sure you set OKRs and have like operational... Allocate your resources. Allocate your resources. Figure out how how you change your resource allocation. Automate, automate as much as you can. So those are like the things that I think like teams that like will will start doing and will improve, uh, will give them like a competitive edge. Yeah, so you you mentioned the automation, the programmable workflows piece. Uh, That seems like it's a really crucial element of predictable delivery. And that's really what we're all going for is is high quality, predictable delivery that can drive that innovation we talked about earlier. And you mentioned the the Dora research this year and now the the 2023 Dora report that just came out, uh, which we're very proud to partner with Google on. One of the really awesome insights in there was that teams with faster code reviews perform 50% better on software delivery. And it was like such a substantial improvement, but it really aligns what we've seen in the research as to where the friction points are on development, which is code reviews are one of those main ones we hear about both in you know, quantitative metrics through our own data and also in the qualitative metrics, whether it's conversations, surveys, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. There's this triangle between if you figure out that having small pull requests, it will 
that you got to have like small pull requests. So you got to break your work into small chunks. And then you understand that what it does to you, it increases your merge frequency, which is a very important developer experience metric that will tell you. Because if developers are merging two, three PRs a week, they're happy. We want to complete, I, I say we, I still see myself as a developer. We want to complete tasks. That's what we want to do. And then on the other side, what it does to you, it like it keeps the pickup and review and all the handoffs faster. Because here's what's happening and it's a harsh truth. Everybody knows it. If I'm getting a PR, uh, the first thing I'm going to do that I need to review, first thing that I'm going to do, if I have like estimated time to review, great. But if I don't have it, I'm going to assess really quickly. Is this like a 30 minutes thing or can, can I do it in two minutes? And here's what I'm going to do. It's a very binary like classification. Two, three minutes. Okay, I'm going to take it. 30 minutes, throw it in the queue. I don't know. It's like, it's going to... Maybe it's tomorrow morning. It's tomorrow yeah. or in two weeks and that's it. That's uh, So when this triangle like works, small PRs, high merge frequency, fast pickup and review, less like handoffs, or even if there, there are handoffs, they're fast. And then you get things like out to production and it's still fresh in your head when there's a problem. So you can roll out quickly, you can roll back quickly. That's the magic. When, when that happens, a lot of like the problems are solved. And that's why like Google like identified it. And we're seeing it with like the leading indicators that lead to like the code review. We did, we've been talking about it like for last two or three years. And by the way, that's the first blocker in the development pipeline. Once you finish that, there's more now. There's like, why is my CI sometimes failing, sometimes not? Solve that. Why is my CI taking so long? Solve that. Can I release it directly to production? But that's the main like blocker that uh, is hurting productivity at this point. And it really aligns to Dora's research, which shows that when you have good quality and speed, those things actually go together. And what we're seeing here is when you break down that triangle you talked about, these small PRs, uh, quick review cycles, and when we pull these all th those things together, we're able to create much faster software delivery pipeline. And that also improves quality because instead of having to look at a massive review or maybe you're missing something or you're lacking context, I agree, I, I can get this small review quicker. It's a lot easier to figure out, less context switching involved. And you're not only improving the speed, but the quality of what you do. And so that kind of brings me to my next question, which is what should engineering leaders' top priorities be when it comes to Dora and the insights from Dora as we head into the next year. Because I think you've alluded to code reviews. What are the other things they should pay attention to? You mean like uh, when they think about the metrics program or when they think about Dora? I'd be curious about both. Yeah, I would say we're, we're seeing this a lot. So I think organizations, they know themselves the best. So they need to start a metrics program. And we're going to have like a talk in this session uh, with uh, Syngenta, one of our customers. What I liked about how they uh, operate is they said to themselves, okay, there's Dora, there's other metrics, there's, we're gonna choose the things that we believe in and that's what we're gonna, we're gonna measure. And by the way, once they did that, they went quickly to the next level in the maturity saying, okay, measuring is not enough. How do we create operational cadence that everybody is accountable and everybody's presenting their metrics and they're like sharing them, which is like a very, very important phase. I think once you have those, you get to the next level. Okay, I see problems. How do I fix them? And that's why we love Gitstream because it is, it's a great like uh, venue like to start coding yourself out of, uh, out of the problems and, and improving them. 
So my recommendation is uh, start the starter metrics program. Pick the things that are important to you and focus on what you're trying to achieve and how it's aligned best to your culture. Then I think it's what's going to happen to you is like the third quarter or the fourth quarter syndrome where we're saying, okay, now I need more. I need allocation use cases. I need like uh, automation. So uh, there's no magic. You just got to start. Like I said, in the beginning, it ties really nice to the beginning. Engineering efficiency is here to stay. The gap between those who started and are now in their second or third year and are in advanced use cases and, you know, metrics are stable stakes for them. Between the ones that didn't start yet is, is growing bigger and the competitive edge is, you can really see those customers who, who run it. And just by seeing those metrics, they, they already save like a lot of time. It's hard to compete with them if you're in the same industry with them. Absolutely. And this is why as a company, Linear B has now made Dora metrics free for everyone worldwide with our free dashboard that we, we've launched. Uh, you're probably going to hear an ad for it on this podcast, uh, but it's completely free to download. You can use it for a team of any size. Uh, we want to make sure that every team has those table stake metrics you talked about. So you can start to identify the areas of friction for your team to, to improve because it's so dependent on how your team's set up. Is it something where it's cross uh, multiple time zones? Maybe that's, you're going to have different challenges than a team that's co-located. They may be harder challenges. They may be not be harder challenges. Are you a hybrid team that meets a couple times a year uh, versus one that's in the office a couple days a week? Are you doing more pair programming, less pair programming? So many things, and I'm just rattling off a few, can really affect how your team approaches this. And so it begs a question for me, like we've given a lot of advice for engineering leaders. What about the rest of the C-suite? What about founders in particular? As a founder yourself and someone who's been around a lot of incredible founders over the years, how should founders think about engineering efficiency in 2024 and beyond? And, and what else should they be prioritizing as they make these really critical decisions and partner with engineering leaders? I think it, it, it boils down to, this, to some of the same things. First of all, when, when you think about your talent, think about what we spoke about before. I don't want founders to say, hey, you know, generating code is easy now with Gen AI, so I don't need... No, you need like strong developers. You need like the ones that will help you like, you know, authorize the code, read it, approve it. So that, that's one thing that I think they should be thinking about it. Another thing, when you start your journey, you know, put, the, put the, those metrics and the allocation things from the beginning, because I think if you start a relationship with your board, with your CEO, with your uh, peers, or you, you put this culture in where, where engineering is accountable like any other department, and they can talk about, here's our, our investments and... It's dramatic um, because you start like the relationship with your board on the right foot. So I think if founders like thinking about like starting like a company now, yeah, think about Gen AI, think about strong talent that can still read and generate like uh, uh, the important code. Think about workflow automation for your pipelines, because even if you move fast there, you still like be stuck there and think about communication to your board with allocation because if you, from the first board meetings, this, this is what you do and you get used to it, there's going to be a lot of trust and a lot of like uh, a good relationship with your engineering team. And you probably can avoid, you know, some of those hard times when people say, hey, maybe we're not delivering as fast. No, you have data all the time from the beginning. Yeah, not only are you helping to improve your internal engineering operations, but you're also building trust with the board and other engineering leaders throughout the business. That, hey, we understand our engineering operations. We're considering, you know, investment allocation. How much is on keeping the lights on versus new innovation? 
And by doing that, you change the conversation from engineering as a cost center to engineering as a value driver for the business. And you start to translate those key operational metrics to the board in a way that they can understand the business metrics. Absolutely. Um, and, and that drives, uh, you know, I mean, that's, I think that speaks to an important skill for founders in 2024 and beyond, which is the ability to cross the bridge from the go-to-market team, the sales, the CS, the marketing that already has a lot of these operational metrics, these business metrics that they've been using for years to the, the engineering side of things. But what other skills do you think are really crucial for founders? What advice would you give founders who are getting started today or, or starting to uh, learn on their journey? I have the general advices to founders, which is like always like uh, be ready to fall a lot of times, bounce back. Even in these, uh, you know, conditions, it's not going to change. You're still going to do a lot of mistakes. Hire great people. Great for every period. I don't think these things change, you know, when when we think about 2024. It's still the same. Maybe, you know, one thing is what I'm seeing out there is like that jump between when you raise seed to when you raise your A round. That's still okay. Like people... It's People still fund happening. those, yeah. yeah. Then the the toughest one is like, okay, I need to prove that I'm like I have a valid business. It's repeatable. So I would I would I would make sure that you have everything aligned when you raise your A, and you have a lot of time until you need to raise your B to figure things out. That's where I see a lot of companies struggle now. That's a general like advice. See, I feel like I have much simpler advice for founders around you know making sure you can raise your next round, and that's just buy a .ai domain. You should be good to go. That too. Um, fantastic or this has been great any closing thoughts you want to share any last predictions you want to get in no I would just say stay like adaptive because every prediction that I suggested here is just as good as every prediction that somebody else will will give you and probably in February 2024 we already learned that some of them are we missed so just we gotta always adapt Uh, Ori thank you so much for coming back on the show Uh, if you enjoyed this episode let us know. We'd love to hear about the type of formats that you're looking for. We're trying to experiment with new conversations. Uh, and if you really enjoyed it, consider leaving us a review, whether that's on YouTube. You know, always love a thumbs up. If it's on Spotify, five stars, same with Apple Podcasts, wherever you leave your reviews, we'll have a link in the comments. And thank you so much for listening. Thanks for having me. It was great being here in the dome. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. 